for Joseph Weaver and his leading of our church in singing. I think I speak for many of us, God, that those songs today have us ready for your word. And I thank you so very much for that, God. It's not a way that we feel 15, 20 minutes at the beginning of the service. It's worship to you. It's us singing together and to each other as we sing to you. And it has our hearts ready. So, Father, we pray now that you would give us the ability to hear your word. And give us the eyes to see your word. And give us, God, the heart that would embrace it, that this is the truth of God. And Father, we ask that you would do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We're talking about the fifth book in the New Testament. We were in Mark for a really, really long time. If you can find Mark, just go uh, to the right or toward the end a little bit, and you'll find the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use that black Bible there, the pew Bible in front of you. That's page 1004. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. Since we're in between series, I'm just wanting to cover some things that I, I really like for our church to cover as often as we can. Last week, I went over our church's mission statement, and we looked at Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 saying that whatever I do, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And I use that to show you that our church's mission statement is that we exist to proclaim Jesus. It says that on the front of your pew. It says that on the front of the pew. I mean, I'm sorry, in front of the uh, bulletin. Uh, the mission statement is, we exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. That's our mission. That's why we exist. We understand that. We, we get that. And today, I want to look at core values. What are our church's core values? What are the things that we value the most? Now, what's awesome about talking about values is that everybody here values things. I don't know if you've ever sat down and come up with a personal list of values, a personal list of core values, but I know that you do. And so I want to encourage you that it's helpful and good for you to think through, well, what, what are those things that I value most? And I want you to know that as a church, we've thought through that. We think through that. We, we take time to examine, step back, and evaluate what it is we value. What do values even mean? What do values even mean? Values are the things that are important to you. Or, whatever is important to you is what you value. You ever put much thought to it? You ever put much thought to the church that you are a part of, belong to, or attend on what they value? Or perhaps the company that you work for, or the club that you belong to, what are their values? This is what I want us to look at today. What should we value? What should we value? What should you or I value as individuals, as humans, as Americans, as citizens here of Louisville, Kentucky, and 
perhaps for most of us, even Fairdale, what should we value? As Christians, followers of Christ, believers in God, children of God, what is it that we value? What should we value? Have you ever thought about those things? What is it that's important to you? What is it that you value? And then what about a church? When all of us come together with our beliefs, and we look to the word like we do, and we sing songs like this that we just did, worshiping to God, and we do this every single Sunday, what is it that we as a church should value? What is it that's important to us, and what is it that's not important to us? This is what values are all about. One of the one of my favorite things in my life currently is being able to coach youth league sports. I've probably told you all that a hundred times already. But I really, really enjoy it. I love being out there. I love watching the kids. I love coaching my own kids when I can and coaching other kids. And I could go on and on, an hour-long sermon on just that, but I really do enjoy it. Last weekend, we were playing a game up here and. You know, when you're coaching five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, sometimes the final score will be like 10 to 8. And what you value in youth sports better not be what you value in high school sports. Okay? What you value in youth sports better not be what you value in college sports or pro sports at that. And we had just played a game last week, and we had won, and after the game, we go over here and meet like in a corner and the team huddles up and all the parents stand around and I just say a few words like, hey, good game, see you next week. And I was trying to like brag on one of the kids, he's not one of our stronger kids, pretty good, but I was bragging on him. I said, man, you, you played really good today and you, you scored some points and we were happy for you, man, you did a good job. And the seven-year-old boy said, yeah, but my daddy wasn't here to see it. What do you think matters to him? What do you think he values? You ever seen coaches acting out of character and acting like scores or points or wins or losses or heroes or champions or trophies are more important than, than other things? And sometimes we have our core values out of line. What's important to us? That was last weekend, so yesterday we were, we were playing and every team's shorthanded right now because kids are sick and We were in the fourth quarter and pretty close game and, and I took that boy out of the game with about four minutes left in the game and, and when he was coming out of the game, he kind of acted like, man, I, I don't want to come out, which is every kid. And I remembered what happened just the week before. I had not remembered that, but I remembered that. So I ran down there to him and I said, is your dad here? He said, yeah, my dad's here. I said, get back in there. And he went and got back in the game, and we let, him, we let him play the rest of the game. And he scored, and it was really, really cool. Now, I'm not here to tell you all that I didn't care about winning or losing. We did. And that coaching decision didn't cause us to lose. But it mattered to me. It really did matter to me. It was important to me. And as I've been thinking about what I value as a, as, a, as a man and a dad and a husband and a pastor, you know, this is my job. 
and then I lead our church and what we value. I think we need to spend some time reflecting on that. I think I do, and I think you do. And I think together, we need to unite together on what we value. You know, sometimes we need to stop and look around and gain some perspective, don't we? Personally, as a church, you need to stop and look around and say, man, what, what's everybody else doing? What, what do most Christian men do? What do followers of Jesus do with their lives? What do they value? But then sometimes you need to stop looking around. You need to put your hand to the plow and get to work. There's a time to look around and get perspective, and there's a time to dig in and say, let's do it. And we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a long time. And here we are at the end. And so I wanted to remind you of our mission statement, and I want to now remind you of our core values. Our core values here at First Baptist Church Fairdale are three things. Gospel, community, and mission. On our church website, we have written right there very clearly what that means, why we value those, what it means that we value those, and I will go over that today. By the end of the sermon today, I want you to value those things. I want you to be asking, do I value those, those things? Do I really think our church values those things? And am I helping our church value those things by my valuing of those values? And that we would be stronger. Gospel, community, and mission. Well, one of the easiest ways to look around and gain some perspective is to say, okay, we're a church, we want to love God, we worship Him. So what does God value? What did Jesus value? What does the teaching of God and Jesus value? What does God's Word teach us to value? And even as we can look at what the church in the, in the Bible valued, do we? So that's what we're going to do today. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'll read verses 42 through 47. Now, this is the beginning of the book of Acts, right? In, in chapter 1, it picks up where the gospel of Luke ended. You have Jesus Christ risen from the grave. He is victorious over sin. Sin has been uh, overcome. He is truly the Savior of the world. He says just a few things, and then the Lord Jesus ascends up into heaven, and he says, the Holy Spirit will come with power, and then you will go be my witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes with power, and the church then begins to be his witnesses throughout the rest of the world until he returns, even to this day. And Acts chapter 2 is the very beginning of that. And you get to Acts chapter 2, you've got uh, Peter preaching a sermon already. That's what uh, Josh Womble was reading some of that when he came up here and read. And then we get to verse 42, and it's this little summary statement. Read with me, chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is an interesting, interesting passage. This is a passage that just uh, of an overview is so much of a challenge to churches in 2018. We have become so self-centered as individuals, maybe not as churches, but as individuals, we've become self-centered that we have a hard time thinking that that is even possible. We've also become so kind of business model driven. We've become so results driven that we think if we can learn to do this right, then we will make this happen. We can produce results. We think that way. And as we Americans know, in the business world, that's true. You do some things right, you do this, you do that, you can be successful. The problem is with the church doing that, that's not the way God taught us to do it. So when a church figures out how to do that, where they can themselves manufacture certain results, it is not necessarily the results that God is producing, and we must be careful of that. In this passage today, there's no real strategy there of how we're going to do this. There is them valuing certain things. There is an interest and love in their heart of what is important to them. There are values there. We here value gospel, community, admission, and I want you to see in this passage today that they did too. The early church did too. The apostles did too. The apostles beginning and leading and pastoring and then passing on the, the leadership of God's church from then until now, they too valued the gospel, community, and mission. So what's the first one? Gospel. Number one, we value the gospel. Did they? Well, let's look. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to certain things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. That sounds like church life, right? Teaching, we're doing fellowship. That's us having relationships together all under the lordship of Jesus for the sake of encouraging us and building us up. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is not necessarily two people spending time together under the umbrella of church. It's two people spending time together truly loving the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit working in between them where love is building them up in their faith. That's what fellowship is. They were devoted to that. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, literally eating meals together, but also literally taking the Lord's Supper together, communion together. They were devoted to that, and they were devoted to prayers. They prayed together. They spent time praying together. They knew what it's like to have their eyes closed, to have their heads bowed, to have their knees on the ground together. They've heard somebody else say, Dear God, I want to ask you this. They've heard other people pray to God. They were devoted to these things. It's not a hard stretch for you guys to understand that having a devotion to something means it's important to you. You value that. And they did. They did. They valued the gospel like we do. Well, let me show you. 
Peter had just preached a sermon. Acts chapter 2 is this big, long, awesome sermon where Peter has just received the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of him. He's changed from what he was in the Gospels. Remember in the Gospels, he was kind of this like quick to speak, wishy-washy, sometimes awesome, sometimes not awesome. That's what he was like in the Gospels. But in chapter 2 of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of him. We call that the indwelling, never to leave again. And so he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now Peter is a powerful witness for Jesus. And he preaches in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Gospel truths. Jesus is Lord. God made him, Lord. You will bow your knee to him. Everybody will bow your knee to him. He reigns over everything. Jesus is Lord. And then he says it this way. You killed him. You crucified him. This is the gospel. The gospel is that the God that made us loves us so much that he died. The gospel is that those who are bad and have sinned against God are not punished and pushed away by God. They are loved by God and drawn back to God and received by God and redeemed by God because God is just that good of a father. And Peter is preaching this to them. When they hear him preaching the gospel to them, look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sins. They were left thinking, I have sinned against God. I'm not right. I'm more bad than I am good. I'm not finished. I'm not complete. There's something missing in me. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, this great question. If you don't know Acts 2.37, then you need to hear it today and never forget it. They said in Acts 2.37, brothers, what shall we do? How shall I respond? Which direction should I go? What do I do to get right with God? How can I get rid of my guilty conscience? How can I make true, lasting change in my life? What do I do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, sometimes people think we're trying to church things up and we're trying to make things spiritual that aren't spiritual and we're trying to make things about God that aren't about God. Y'all, there's no church in this up. Here's what happened. A guy stood up and said, y'all are sinning against God and it ought to bother you. And they said, it does bother us. Now, what's our next move? He said, repent. He said, turn away from your sins and turn your focus toward Jesus and embrace God and say, God, I want to be all about you. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to love you. And they said, okay, let's do that. And they believed and they repented and they were baptized. And there was about 3,000 of them. Y'all, they valued the gospel. This wasn't watered down. This was about Jesus. I want to ask you, do you value the gospel? It goes on then in verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
Are you devoted to the teaching? Are you devoted to the teaching of Scripture? Are you glad to be here today because you know that we're going to teach the Bible? Does your soul hunger for that? Do you remember that I said last week or two weeks ago that man doesn't live by bread alone? You remember when I said that like Snickers, that you're, you're not yourself when you're hungry and so much of our problem is that we're not ourselves because we're hungry, not physically but spiritually? We've not been feeding ourselves with the word of God and we keep wondering, well, I wonder why my soul's not satisfied and we haven't fed ourselves. We're not ourselves because we're hungry. Y'all, the true church values the gospel. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. If there was an opportunity for them to hear the word, they wanted to hear the word. If a church met on Sunday mornings at 1045, then they wanted to be there. If they could read the Bible at home in the mornings, in the evenings, they had an opportunity, five minutes here, five minutes there. They wanted to get in the word of God. They valued it. Do you? Do you? Do we? Our church offers a lot. I would love for you to find a way to get the word of God in your life. If you can make Sunday mornings, be here. If you can't, we have Sunday evening worship at 6 o'clock. If you can't make that, we have Wednesday evenings. We have a Wednesday morning Bible study, a Thursday morning Bible study. There are several other opportunities. There's a lot of ways for you to get the word. If you can't do any of that, if you're so busy, swamped, bogged down, you work every single morning, every single afternoon, every single evening, and in between that you have no other free time, every sermon is on the internet. You can listen to every single one. You're driving in the car to work, you can knock it out. Do you value the teaching of the Word of God? I want you to see that there's a big problem, there's a disconnect when we have Christian people that don't value the Christian truths. See, we as a church want you to understand that we value the gospel. Listen to this. This is on our church website. This is what our church announces that we believe and value about the gospel. It says, the gospel is what we proclaim about Jesus. God became a man, lived a sinless life, died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and defeated sin and death by coming back to life three days later. The gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done is the foundation of who we are and all that we do. God is the only one who can and does change lives. We believe that. We believe that Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose again and ascended to heaven, who is in heaven right now, we believe that he sent his Holy Spirit. And we believe that those who turn from their sins and trust in Christ receive the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of them. We also believe that if you've not committed yourself to Christ and repented of your sins, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. So I understand why so much of the world doesn't value the gospel, why they're not devoted to the teaching of Scripture. You don't value it yet, but we believe that those who do, do. Do you? Now, last Sunday was the Super Bowl, and I, I loved watching it. it. was a good game. And, but a couple weeks before, something neat happened in the playoffs. The Vikings were playing the Saints, and it was a big deal, and it looked like the Saints had the game won. Came down to the very end, and the Vikings threw up a prayer of a Hail Mary, and the receiver catches it. Should have fallen down, didn't fall down. Should have stepped out of bounds, didn't step out of bounds. And as the time ran off the clock, Stephon Diggs caught a pass from Case Keenum for the Vikings and ran it all the way in for a touchdown, and they won at the buzzer of that game. It was crazy. After the game, the reporter has the quarterback, Case Keenum, on the field. He's like, man, can you explain what just happened? He's like, I, I got no words. It, it was crazy. I don't know what happened. I just threw it up. I slung it. He caught it. I don't know how it didn't fall. It didn't step up. I don't know how it happened. It's crazy. 
The reporter said, it's got to be the greatest moment of your life. He said, no, actually it's not. Probably about the third greatest moment of my life. And everybody watching was like, what? Because we're so used to going, best day ever, best thing ever, best ever, right? That's how most people talk these days. And right there, minutes after that great play, this has got to be the best moment of your life. He says, no, probably the third First is the day that I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved me from my sins. Second greatest day of my life was when I married my wife. This is probably the third. What do you think that man values? What do you think is important to him? At that spot, in that moment, in that pressure, on national television, the biggest throw of his life, biggest game of his life, biggest play of his life, the most attention that he's ever gotten in his life, ever, and he says, this isn't the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Jesus is. Folks, I want to ask you straight up. And everybody in here knows that we can say we value things, but we don't. Like, I, I, I value exercise, but I never do. So guess what? I don't value it enough, right? And I value sleep. But I don't enough. Don't value it enough. And you know what I'm saying. This conversation about what you value, what's important to you, also gets to what are your priorities. And you have time for what you want to do most, right? Every husband and wife have had that conversation before, back and forth. Right? Can't tell you how many ball games I've watched in the last couple of days. It'll show you what's important to you. Start looking at your priorities. But I'm telling you that believers value the gospel. It is the most important thing to us to be taught by his word, to be pointed to Jesus, to be confessing our sins. We value the gospel. Do you? They did. They were responding to the preaching. They were devoted there to the apostles' teaching. But secondly, we value community. And I make this point every time. We're not saying here that we value the community around us. We do value the community. We love Fairdale. We love Louisville. We love South Louisville. We love the schools. We love uh, the neighborhoods, the streets, and all of that. We're here to serve them, and I hope that that speaks for itself. I hope everybody around here that doesn't go to this church, I hope everybody around here that doesn't even believe in God knows that we value them. But that's not one of our core values. When I say we value community here as a church, here's what I mean. We value being in relationship with each other that strengthens our valuing of the gospel. Let me say that again. When I say that we value community, I'm saying we value being in relationships with each other that strengthens our valuing of Jesus. These relationships matter. That's what it means to value the community. And I told you that this passage gets challenging. Let's read it again. Verse 42, they, that's plural, that's them. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were devoted for their lives, rubbing shoulders and elbows together. They were devoted to seeing each other, checking out how you're doing, wondering what's going on with you. They were devoted to those things. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and to praying. They were devoted to that. Verse 43 says, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, 
And all who believed were together. That's what I mean when I say we value community. We're together in this. I'm not coming to this church so that me and me only will prosper in my faith in Christ. I'm a part of this church so that we together will prosper in our faith in Christ. I don't have my children involved in this church so that it will only make them great at whatever direction God leads them. No. We're not in this for them. We're in it for them and everybody else. And we don't separate the two. That's community. In sports, you often hear there's no I in team. That's church. Community. We. Each other. In our passage here, it says, they were together. But then it goes on and it says they had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and with generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. The relationships there were so real and genuine that they were looking out for each other. Is there anybody in need around us? Do you know of anybody in the church that needs anything? I was encouraged just over the past couple weeks. We had two families have babies and completely, completely disconnected from me. I didn't even hear about it, didn't even know about it. Somebody in the church reached out and said, hey, we're going to get meals for them, and we're, we're setting that up. And then somebody else said for the other family, we're going to get meals for them, we're setting that up. And we say, hey, if there's anybody in the church that wants to take them a meal just so that the, the new mother doesn't have to do anything, make life a little easier on them. It's looking out for each other. Now, sometimes people can take this passage and, and take it a little too far and get out of line, but here's what I want you to understand. The church, regardless of the size of the church, is a family. It is a family of God. And in the family of God, family looks out for each other. You understand that, right? We've got a sick child at home today. My son JJ has the flu, so Val had to stay home. Well, our five-year-old Carolina just kind of graduated up to sitting in big church. This is the first Sunday ever that she's here without... This is the first Sunday that she's here. Second Sunday that she's here in big church. First Sunday that she's here without my wife. She's sitting there by herself. And so I had to give her a strong talk. But, but at the same time, I looked to her eight-year-old brother... And I looked at her seven-year-old brother, and I said, hey, y'all going to sit here with her. If she needs something, you've got her. That's what family does, right? It's not a stretch. That's what family does. Whatever the family needs, the family does. And so it is with a church that we value that. Is there somebody in our midst right now that's having a hard time? Is there somebody here that's struggling? I know of a lot. But if there's something I don't know of, by all means, let us know. I'm telling you that it is our heart to care for you. It is important to us to get up in your life as much as you want us to and help and love and support. For some, it may just be a phone call. For some, it may be staying there all night. For some, it may be hand you some money. For some, it may be going and do something for you. For some, it may just be letting you know, hey, we're praying for you. But that matters to us. Listen to what it says here on our church website about this. And I hope people that are considering church are checking this out. We publicly love and serve God through the community 
of the church. As individuals, we worship, learn, and grow in our private lives. However, God has not created us to be hermits or to live in isolation. The gospel breaks apart divisions that separate people and calls us to be his body, his family, his representatives. We work to become less a group of individuals and more a single entity. When one person hurts, we all hurt. When one person or family is struggling, we all struggle. When one person is happy and rejoicing, we all rejoice together. We really matter to each other, and what matters to one of us matters to all of us. Each of us becomes a better follower of Jesus as we encourage one another by worshiping, learning, growing, loving, and serving together. We value that. It's important to us. When God has so worked in our lives and brought us into his love and given us that understanding, what flows next from valuing the gospel is then valuing the gospel in other people's lives. We matter to each other. Do you value community? Have you sought out some relationships? Would you like me to help you do that? Do you love the other people in the church? Do you let the other people in the church love you? Do you know other people in the church? Do you let the other people in the church know you? This week I got distracted by a, an article titled 14 Things Ridiculously Successful People Do Every Day. Now if you know me well enough, you know that I hate articles like that. I hate the title, I hate the people they're about to write about, right? There's nothing in my life consistent with a billionaire's life on what he does and what I do. It's different. But for some reason, the ridiculously successful caught me. And I wanted to see what was it about these ridiculously successful people. And it says 14 things that they do every day. Now, most of those points don't connect with us common folks. They don't. They've got too much money and too much time and too much freedom and too much authority to connect with people like us. But I want to share with you number five. Fourteen things ridiculously successful people do every day. Number five, they make it home for dinner. I bet you, if I had asked everybody in this room to list out what those are, you would not have named that. You would not have named that. They make it home for dinner. It goes on to say, the researcher first learned this one from the president of Intel who said, there is always, quote, there is always more to be done, more that should be done, and there's always more that can be done. Highly successful people still know what they value in life. Yes, work is there. Yes, work is something you value. But there are also other things we value. This is what they're saying. There is no right answer for how to balance this, it says. But for many people, they also value family, exercise, giving back. And what this researcher found for ridiculously successful people was they made it home for dinner. 
The reason why I tell you that is because it's very common for us to think we value something, but to not put priority to it, which therefore means we don't really value it. Some of y'all would raise your hand so boldly and say, I value family. But you've not truly done any quality family time in a while. Some of y'all would say, you value giving and giving back. You haven't given or given back in a while. So many people in America, believe me, would say, I value the word of God. They're not devoted to the Word of God. A lot of people say they're devoted or they value church. But they've never heard a sermon like this that causes them to step back and look around and gain some perspective. Do you value the gospel? Do you value community and other people? For some people, listen to me. Your lives are busy and you've got family and you're involved here and you do that. And every time you turn, there's more people you've got to talk to and interact with. And your day goes like that all day long till finally you get home, you shut the door, you lock it, and you settle down. Y'all, but not everybody's that way. Y'all, there are people, listen to me, there are people here this morning that have never, ever been asked to lunch on a Sunday. I've been doing that Every single Sunday, basically, for 15 years here in Fairdale. And every once in a while, a kid has the flu and we have to hurry home. But I got so much community around me. But there's people here that have never done that. There's people here today saying, I love Jesus. I love your preaching. But I'm not sure if there is community here for me. Nobody's wanted to spend time with me. Nobody's invited me to pray. Church, when you value the gospel in people's lives, you value community. And that means the people matter to you. Number one, we value the gospel. Number two, we value community. And number three, lastly, we value the mission. We value the mission. Josh Womble pointed out when he came and read this passage, if you heard him pray, it was kind of a long prayer today from Josh Womble. If you listen to that prayer, he pointed out that in that passage, there's a response there. He pointed out that Peter had preached, and they had asked, brothers, what shall we do? Peter answered, you need to repent and be baptized and trust in Christ, and they did. Folks, we value that. It's a value to me that you showed up today. There are people here today that I've never met before. There are people here today that I'm just learning to me. There are people here today that I don't have any idea whether they know God or love God or trust in Christ. I don't know. But you know what matters to me and I hope to you? I hope to find out. I hope to get into a conversation with them that says, are you on your way to heaven? Are you trusting in Christ? Are your sins forgiven? And then upon hearing their answer, I hope to be a better witness to Christ and say, well, can I help you with that? Have you ever thought about it? Will you? Will you consider it? This matters. There are people here today that for the last six months or for the last year, I've been talking to them about that. There are people here today who are still riding the fence. They're not sure if they want to commit. There are people here today that want to get baptized, but they won't get baptized. There's a lot of that going on. And the church embraces the mission to say, hey, you need to commit to Christ. 
You need to surrender. You need to submit. You need to go all in. You need to strive for purity. You need to devote to valuing the gospel. You need to devote to valuing mission. There's some of you all that need to get involved on Wednesday nights. Not all of you. Some of y'all are too busy for Wednesday nights, and I understand that. You don't need to try to fit Wednesday night in. It'll stress you out even more. But some of you need to. Some of you realize Wednesday's not going to work, so maybe Sunday school. There are ways to get involved. Some of you men don't have another man in your life that you really, really, really get that somebody will point you to Christ, that will call you out in your sins, that will say, hey, you need to change some of those ways. You don't have that. Well, guess what? This Saturday morning, the third Saturday of every month, one hour to the T, starts at 8, ends at 9, breakfast and prayer. You can have that. You can have that. But we value pushing that envelope. Not obnoxious. I hope you don't think I am. Not overly pushy. Not coming on too strong, but in a loving and serving way. Remember, that's our mission. In a loving and serving way, being missional about, do you know Christ? Do you value the gospel? Is the word growing in your life? Have you been reading the Bible? Do you value those things? Last week, I preached on how our whole church has a mission about it, a mission statement, something we're wanting to do. If you weren't here last week, go listen to that sermon. Pick up the CD or listen to it online. Understand even more about how we value the mission. In our passage here in Acts chapter 2, we can't miss the obvious. Verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You go down to verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was a mission about them. Embracing the core values, embracing the things that God values, having things in your life that are important to you, things you say yes to and things you say no to, and prioritizing your life or structuring your life or organizing your life around the things that matter most to you will in turn make you missional. That's what I, you remember I said at the beginning that all this kind of worldly business strategy to do this and produce results? Well, I'm not as into that as much, but what I'm saying is as we start to truly value the gospel and value community and value the relationships, then God will naturally make it of us that we are valuing the mission. God will use us. He'll do it this way. You know, as we were singing the songs, and you heard me pray, I think it's outstanding the way Joe puts these songs together. And I don't know if you noticed it, but that song they sang right before the sermon, that's kind of a new song to me. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. I I like that song, though. As we were singing, I was thinking, man, I really, really like this song. It's only the second time I've heard it. If you remember, when we ended Mark and I preached on the resurrection, they did it that day. That was probably a couple weeks ago, but we did it that day. Today's only the second time I've ever heard that song, as much as I can remember, but I like it. It's new, different, new to me. But you know what I also like? I like that song we did just a couple songs ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's an older one. But I like it. And in that song, it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Start to value him. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see what's happening there? As you start to value the gospel, you won't value other things as much. As you start to value the gospel and the community and the mission, then these weaker, lesser, no good worldly values 
will slowly go away. God does that. God will bring you to that spot. But here's why I say that. Y'all, our church values these things. We're not going to get distracted on, well, that's an old song, or that's a new song, or he was playing that green guitar today, or we needed the piano, or this or that. We're not getting distracted by those things. We value Jesus and his teaching. Does it have Jesus in his teaching? Absolutely. Well, praise the Lord. We value being together. Are there people here? Absolutely. Listen, y'all, by all accounts, it is a horrible day outside. I kid you not, I tried to be a servant for just a few minutes. I grabbed an umbrella. I helped one family in. By the grace of God, it was some guests here today, and I helped them in. I'd never met them before. But it was raining so hard that right now my shoes are wet, my socks are wet, the bottom of my pants are wet. I said, I told the guys that were out there doing it, I said, it's too much for me. Y'all going to have to finish up. I'm too wet. Do you know what? There's still tons of y'all here on a day where it would have been better to stay in. We're all more likely to get sick now because it's 35 degrees outside. It's pouring rain. Our shoes are wet. It, it was hard to get here, wasn't it? It was hard to get here. I couldn't believe it when I was getting here for Sunday school this morning at 9.30 and I saw some 80-year-olds, 85-year-olds, some, some elderly folks here and I thought, wow, I would have thought y'all would have stayed in. No, they're here. Why? It matters to them. It's important to them. Y'all, we're not getting distracted by things that don't matter as much. We want to keep church simple. We want to value the things that are valuable, and we want to say it doesn't really matter to the things that aren't that valuable. If it's important, we value it. If it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal. We value certain things. The gospel, community, and mission. This weekend, and I'll close with this, we had a 24 hours of prayer event. Notice here in verse 42, it says they were devoted to praying. Well, I want our church to be devoted to praying, and I hope that you are. We do this every six months. We do it every February, and we do it every August. It's awesome. Somebody here at church, hopefully groups of four or more, are here for an hour time slot and just praying for 24 hours straight. It went from 5 p.m. on Friday to 5 p.m. on Saturday, and it was awesome. And we do it every six months. And over the years, I've had some of the sweetest moments. At 4 o'clock, we got here early to start it off. At 4 o'clock on Friday, y'all, in the midst of a busy Friday, kids getting out of school, one kid going to the doctor, ball games happening, all that. Me and my sons and Coach Stan Harden met up here at 4 o'clock. And none of us are really that good at praying. We're all still learning. But we sat there and we went around the room praying. I said, God will understand your prayers. Some of us fell asleep. We had to not, not, uh, bump each other and say, hey, it's your turn. But we just went around the room in circles just praying. But then I came back later in the evening, and we were going to pray more, and I met with some other, other people here, and we prayed late Friday night. And as I was sitting there, you know what I realized? One of the people that I'm praying with just got baptized a few weeks ago. She's learning what we value. I had somebody tell me today that she came so nervous. She had never done that before. But she said she really enjoyed it. Another person that was with us just became a believer three or four years ago. But I remember for years a family in our church spending time with her, spending time with her, investing in her, investing in her, and we kept thinking, man, I hope she comes to know the Lord. I hope she comes to know the Lord. 
And she did. And since then, you know what? More and more people connected to her have come to know the Lord. That next hour, after that session ended, then I prayed with some other people, gathered with four men here at midnight on Friday night, and we were praying for an hour, and the same thing happened. One of the guys I was praying with has been here in our church for 12 years. But I remember when he was in high school and a buddy invited him. Another guy that was there praying has only been here about one or two years. And I remember when that guy that's been here 12 years started inviting him. And as we were sitting there praying, I started being encouraged. We're valuing the right things. A valuing of gospel and the teaching in Jesus is evident in people's lives here. A valuing of community, that we matter to each other, that the relationships and caring for each other is evident here. And wanting us to be more about it and wanting God to do it more and wanting God to increase and impact lives and for there to be more people coming to know Christ is happening, that's the mission. Church, what do you value? If you're here today and, and all this talk has made it aware that if you're honest, you don't value what God values. If you're here today and you're not sure what you value, if your values have gotten out of line, would you repent today? Would you bow your head and say, God, give me those values? What's important to you? If you don't know Jesus, if you don't value the gospel community and mission, now's the time. Let's get right with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this summary passage in Acts chapter 2 where it says they were devoted to things. They were together and you were growing them. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that in many ways our church here in Fairdale in 2018 would be like that church in Acts chapter 2. Lord, but I pray that we would gauge that not by what we're doing but rather what we're valuing. Father, I pray you would do that in our hearts. Lord, lead us to a real response now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.